Hello from Evolve Law Summit in New York City. I'm Lawrence Coletti. Michael Frankel. Carlos Gomez. Bill O'Boyle. Dave Coffey. Dean Sonderegger. And we're on the road with Legal Talk Network. we're back. I'm uh, still at the Evolve Law Summit here in New York City. More specifically, we're located in West Soho at the Galvanized New York City campus here. And I have an esteemed panel of guests joining me today who just finished a panel presentation in front of everybody. So uh, just real quick, how'd it go for everybody? It was fantastic. Lots of fun. Yeah, it was easy. Great conversation, dialogue. All kinds of startups, I think, which was really interesting. You know, Michael asked a question, raise your hand, and it was like a sea of hands went up, so it was kind of neat. Yeah, so I think it was uh, most from the audience were small, innovative companies that came here to listen to you guys speak. So uh, fantastic presentation, by the way. I learned a lot just sitting back there taking notes and, and doing some of the live tweeting. But uh, you know, before we get into the discussion, I, I feel like we should get to know you guys a little bit for the benefit of our audience. So I'm going to start to my left. I'm going to start with uh, Dean. Hi, my name is Dean Sonderegger. I run uh, legal markets for Walters Kluwer in the United States, which is most things, uh, content and tools sold to law firms. I'm Dave Coffey. I'm the uh, Senior Vice President and Chief Digital Officer of Legal Shield for uh, North America. I'm Bill O'Boyle. I'm the founder and CEO of North State Consulting. We help software vendors go to market. And I'm Carlos Gamis. I work on innovation projects for the legal business unit of Thomson Reuters. Michael Frankel, uh, currently run the Deloitte New Venture Accelerator, but previously ran corporate development for LexisNexis. All right. So, Michael, you were the moderator for this uh, panel presentation. And so just a couple of questions. I want to get a 50,000 foot as to what it was all about. But first, I want to just ask the obvious question. Strategic partnerships, who are the partners in this strategic partnership? So I think usually it's larger companies that have access to the market, have access to customers, have large platforms, and smaller companies that have innovated a particular solution that solves a particular problem in usually in a creative way, usually this day and age using cutting edge technology, new approaches, uh, things like that. And what in general was the panel discussion all about today? I, I think the core of the panel discussion was how do we bring these two groups together? How do these larger organizations like to partner? Where do they want to partner? And how can these smaller organizations be successful uh, engaging with them? So you guys briefly had a little discussion on the laws of attraction. So what makes one partner attractive to another? And uh, you guys had some uh, really interesting ones. And so, uh, Dean, you started off, you said, be credible, be presentable. Can you uh, elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah. So I think that, and we talked about this a little bit, is that when you go into a partnership, it's like going into any type of relationship. And so you're going to be in that relationship, hopefully, for a good while. So uh, trust is key. So building trust, and that's part of the credibility that goes in there. But also, as part of that partnership, uh, if you're a smaller company and you have a solution that you're looking to get wider distribution, the odds are that in that partnership, you're going to be very involved in the go-to-market with the larger company. And so you need to be able to be presented in front of the customer. You need to be somebody that we can bring to the table and add value in that conversation. So that's what I was talking about there. So can we call that law of attraction number one? Sure. All right. And David, you said how you work matters. Sure. We implemented the Agile method throughout the whole company from the CEO all the way down to the receptionist starting on January 1st. And really the whole uh, theme of Agile is being able to deliver value every two weeks. Right, continuous improvement every two weeks of Agile, uh, delivering that added value to the company as a partner to help support our members and providers. That was law of attraction number two. And uh, Bill, you said something briefly. You said 
Tell the people what problem you're going to fix. Yeah, it's very important where people are bringing solutions to the table and not problems. So if you bring a very large idea that's not well thought out, that doesn't have a clear path to success, if, if you're asking someone else that's very, very busy to figure out the strategy for you, all you've really done is created a problem that's just going to get pushed away. If you're able to really think through everything and have everything very crisp and detailed and, and how we're going to go to market and how we're going to solve customers' problems and generate revenue, it's really easy to get someone's attention. All right. Law of attraction number three. Now I turn to Carlos. Now yours is a little bit more ambiguous because it's one of those loyally answers. You said it depends. Yes. It depends because I think uh, to Dean's earlier point, you need as a startup or as a smaller company, you need to be very aware of the value proposition that you bring to the partnership. Large organizations will consume a lot of your time. So your proposal or your proposition needs to be very focused and you need to be aware of the relationship or what you want to obtain from a large company in that relationship. I'll give you an example. If you have tested in the marketplace your value proposition and you're looking for scale, then that's the pitch. If you're co-experimenting, you have a problem that you think that you can solve together with the larger company, then that is your pitch. Yeah, don't you think also, I mean, and, and Bill also, you talk about the value story. A lot of times, I think entrepreneurs get caught up because they're pitching investment so often that they're used to that pitch, right? And that's a particular pitch. We talk about size of market, penetration, things of that nature. It's a different pitch when you're pitching to the partner or to a customer itself. And that's one of the pivots that I think is very hard for entrepreneurs to sometimes make. Yeah, I, I think that's exactly right. If, ironically, I think they're reversed because if you're pitching to an investor, it's all about how my business is going to be massive and you want a piece of it. Right. If you pitch to the partner, you have to talk about how I'm going to drive revenue, I'm going to drive success, I'm going to drive customer satisfaction to your customers. Otherwise, why you know, I'm not here for your success, I'm here for mine. So that addresses the pitch, you know, what's important in a good pitch. And so, Michael, and this is uh, definitely one I think everybody cued in on, you know, coming from these smaller innovative companies. So you, you come from a small innovative companies and you're approaching a big company with access. It's not an easy task. You know, a lot of people have contacts on the inside, but not everybody does. So for those people out there that don't have contacts on the inside, how do they get in front of some of those larger companies with access? I, I think Dean made this point during the session. It's a combination of finding the right opportunity, being at meetings like this, like the Evolve Law Summit and other and legal tech, approaching people, but then being well prepared. So it's not that hard to find executives from these big companies. They're out in the market, they're available, but they're going to give you a small amount of their time. And if you don't have a well thought out presentation that grabs them in terms of why this makes sense to me, you're not going to get to continue the conversation. Okay. So, you know, partnership two parties basically uh, in it together for mutual gain. And so I know we've kind of hit on some of these elements already, but uh, if we could sum it up in maybe a sentence or less, and I'm going to walk around the table here, what is the ideal partnership? You know, so we're talking, you know, one side's going to bring sales, marketing development, another side's going to bring some ideas, but can maybe give you guys each a chance to encapsulate that in one sentence. Who wants to go first? I'll go first. There has to be a value story for both parties that's compelling. It just It's really nothing more complicated than that. If there's a value story for both parties, then you've got the basis for a partnership. If there's a value story that's uneven or only for one party, then you're going to have a very tough go. And I think it's also about flexibility. 
willing to go outside of an SOW. Uh, if you're providing what's a, an SOW? A for statement some, of work. Statement of work. Okay. If you're providing a statement of work to the larger company and you're not willing to go above and beyond that, then you're really a vendor to the larger company. If you are willing to try different things to navigate the organization to pull resources and join forces to solve a common problem, then I think that's when you become a partner. Yeah. Ours is pretty simple and straightforward. We're looking for partners, large and small, that are going to give us operational leverage throughout our whole organization. And real, like, very straightforward, it's got to have a clear value to the customer and a clear path to revenue. If those two are need to be figured out, then this probably needs to be a conversation with someone else. And I'd say lastly, realistic assumptions. Yes. Um, not grand visions, not pie in the sky, and especially this goes back to the point earlier about, about pitching to investors versus pitching to partners. The partner wants to hear about a value proposition to their customers that is actionable and realistic in the near term. All right. This is the second to last question. So listeners out there, whether they're from a small innovative company or a big company with access, you know, they're listening right now. What big takeaway from your panel discussion can you leave them? Let's start with Dean. So I think the biggest thing that I think people overlook a lot in partnerships is that the goal that you have with the partnership is not the partnership itself. The goal is you're trying to grow revenue, you're trying to increase penetration. You have a business goal that's the reason why you stepped up to get to the partnership. So from there, the partnership is really the start of that. And so a lot of companies or small companies lose track of the fact that, hey, if I've got a contract with a Walters Kluwer or Thomson Reuters to distribute my product, the actual mechanics of distribution are very, very important. So when you're going through the partnership discussion, you need to be involving the stakeholders in the company that you're going to be working with going forward, not just the people you're negotiating with. So when we, we use the example there, is if, if I'm reselling your product and you haven't talked to somebody on my sales team, that's probably a red flag. So that to me is don't lose track of the goal and negotiate not only the partnership, but also the path forward. Don't lose track of the goal and don't lose track of the path forward. Ours is really twofold. Is, is One is focus on the and and not the or, right? The and meaning how are you going to be collaborative and how are you going to increase the value in addition to the partners we already have uh, that may be doing similar things that you're doing. And then secondly is, is solely focus on the why, right? Why the partnership exists and, and what the value you can bring to it. And or why? And uh, what do you think, Bill? It's, you know, all four of these companies here are very well respected, huge organizations, and any company would, would find a lot of value in working with them with a well-executed strategy but not always to limit yourself to the really big fish. You know, all of these companies have lots of priorities. And, you know, if you're relatively way low on the priority list, you might not be able to get a lot of their attention. But if you found a closer sized fish, so to speak, sometimes you can get a really active go-to-market strategy there. Look at people, find the right person that can champion your value proposition or, or your, your proposal. And this person may not necessarily be the one higher up in the chain of command, but it would be the person that has a problem that you're solving for, or a person that has a mandate to make these sorts of relationships happen. And I'll give you the same advice for this as I would for a successful marriage. You got to put yourself in the other person's shoes, understand what they want, what their needs are. If you don't understand that, you won't be successful. 
So I said that was the second to last question, but I lied. I have one more, and, I, and uh, Bill's smile over there uh, got me to thinking about this. And so I think it's pretty apparent from the panel that you guys really love what you do. You're very engaged with the process. So maybe I could go around one more time. If I could trouble you just for a couple more minutes. Why do you like what you do? Let's start with you, Michael. For me, it's about, it's about value creation. You know, doing these kind of transactions is like magic. You, you put two people together, you put two parties together, and you end up with a whole bunch more stuff, revenue, profit, than you had when you started. Um, I think it's one of the rare places in business where you can do that quickly and painlessly if you do it right. How about you, Carlos? So I, I used to be a lawyer at some point, and I love the fact that I'm in a spot and a place where I'm looking at all the transformation in the legal industry. It's one of the one of the stalest industry, one of the oldest industries, and you look at startups, you look at artificial intelligence, you look at distributed ledgers, all these technologies that may be old news somewhere else in the legal space. It's really disruptive, and I, I, I love that. How about you, Bill? I like fighting for the little guy. You know, there's a lot of really scrappy startups that particularly may have built a really amazing product, and they may have a team of 10 engineers but their swing zone is not actually taking that to market and making money. And for some, you know, hiring VPs of sales or business development can be really uncomfortable because that's a skill set that's outside of theirs. So I really like representing them. I really like helping them take that, that burden off. And, and a lot of times that could be a huge relief to them. And I really like going to bat for those guys and gals. How about you, Dave? <laughs> So I have the best job in the world, right? So if you think about the smartphone has really become the remote control for your life. We don't hail taxis anymore. We press Uber. We don't call uh, restaurants anymore. We use Seamless, right? We don't go to bookstores anymore. We use Amazon. Uh, we now have the ability to put a lawyer in the palm of everyone's hand through the Legal Shield app. And to me, that's very, very exciting to be able to have 1,633,613 members as of March 31st live free under the law and have equal access to equal justice. And you, Dean? Well, I gotta follow that. That's a good lead <laughs> in, I'll tell you what. <laughs> so not shockingly, the guy from Walters Kluwer and the guy from Thompson view the world a little bit similarly. I think to leverage off of uh, uh, the comments there is that you know, we are in the midst of a significant transformation in the legal business. Business has been effectively performed the same way with very limited changes for 150 years. And so you're seeing disruption from a technology standpoint that's going to be very positive for society as a whole. It's going to result in greater access to the legal market and legal advice than there has been for a long time. And we're in a role where we have an opportunity to shape, drive, and help move that along. And I mean, if that doesn't get you up in the morning, I don't know what does. Well, excellent. I think that's a great place to leave it. So just one last question for everybody here. So, uh, you know, our listeners may have questions and may want to follow up with you based on what they've heard. And if that's the case, how can they reach you? Why don't we start with Michael? Uh, best way is to ping me on LinkedIn. Carlos. LinkedIn or email me firstname.lastname at tr.com. How about you, Bill? LinkedIn is great. So easy. And Dave. LinkedIn's great. Facebook and Twitter are better. Last but not least, Dean. And LinkedIn for me too. Excellent. Excellent. Well, we've reached the end of the road for today's episode, but I want to thank our guests for joining us today and also our listeners for tuning in. And if you like what you heard today, please rate us on iTunes. We'll see you next time for another episode of On the Road with Legal Talk Network. Excellent, guys. If you'd like more information about what you've heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via iTunes and RSS. Find us on Twitter and Facebook or download our free Legal Talk Network app in Google Play and iTunes. 
The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.